Product management is definitely a confusing career to follow, and that comes from a person who is experiencing this firsthand. For those of you listening for the first time, I'm transitioning to product management after working for five years in business development. Right now, I'm doing my master's in IT and management, a degree that is taking me closer to becoming a product manager. But yet again, it is very confusing that there is not a clear career path on becoming a product manager. I mean, if you want to become a lawyer, you study law. If you want to become a software engineer, you study computer science. To become a manager, you most likely study business and do an MBA after. But how do you become a product manager? If you check at online resources, there's hardly any answer. You can't really get a degree in it, certificates are worthless, and if you ask product managers themselves, they say that they either got the role by accident or got promoted internally. The beauty of me hosting this podcast is that I'm definitely learning a lot myself. I get to ask all the questions to product managers and clarify all the confusions that I have. I generally ask these questions from my own understanding of this role and with each episode, I'm growing as a product manager. I also happen to record these conversations, so if you are just like me, trying to become a product manager, I really hope that these conversations are taking you somewhere. Thank you so much for listening to the Product League Podcast. Let me introduce you to my guest for today. I am Brandon Jones. I have a graduate degree in physics, an MBA, and a bachelor's in physics. And I am a current senior product manager at Amazon. Brandon went through several transitions himself until he found what he liked. He initially started accounting, but that didn't work out. I soon found out that that was a little bit restrictive for me and kind of viewed accounting as a shell game, just kind of moving money around instead of actually solving problems. And then he switched to an entirely new field, psychology. But that didn't work out as well. Quickly found out, if anybody decides to look up videos of Darren Brown, that psychology is nothing like what he presents. But finally, Brandon landed into the world of physics. And so then I finished out my college career in physics. Absolutely loved it. It was phenomenal. Every single class had me energized. It was it was great. Although it took Brandon some time to find what he liked studying, once he found it, he really didn't stop. What I mean by that is that he did his bachelor's, master's in physics, and right now he's a PhD candidate in physics at the University of Texas at Dallas. What I noticed from Brandon when he was telling me about all these transitions is that Brandon was always looking for something that had to do with problem solving. Even when talking about physics, he mentioned that he loved its authentic way of solving problems. As we have discussed, what is a good reason on why you want to become a product manager with Chase Rivera on episode 2, we said that solving problems was a fundamental reason to mention on interviews. This could probably be why Brandon today serves as a senior product manager at Amazon. Brandon teaches us that product management is less about having a degree and more about having the right skills, but also knowing how to transfer them to this role. Part one of this episode is focused on how Brandon connected physics and product management. On part two, we discuss how a simple change in CV gave him a callback from recruiters and how to deal with challenges when transitioning. If you are transitioning to product management, I want you to listen carefully to his analogies he takes from physics to product management, and maybe draw your own. So how did Brandon transition to product management? Let's hear his story. Then I thought, okay, well, how do I, like, what company is going to hire me to do physics? As it turns out, uh, no one. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to graduate school immediately 
because no one would hire me. And then after about a year of graduate school, I ran out of money. And so I thought, well, I definitely got to get a job. <laughs> and so the defense industry was a natural fit. There's a lot of science going on, maybe not necessarily theoretical. While uh, while working in the defense industry, they had a wonderful education assistance program, which is how I did my graduate work in physics, because that's what I wanted to do. That's I, I love solving those problems. And so that was what I did for, for 10 years. Uh, I did science. I, I did physics. I solved problems. I wrote papers. I wrote algorithms and, uh, and presented at, at conferences and, and did that whole thing. And it was a whole lot of fun. And so then that kind of gets into, well, if it was so much fun, why did I leave? Right. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyone who has been in a business setting knows that business always wins. Mm. So an engineer can come up with this fantastic idea and it may be it may be great, but if they can't present it well to the business, if they can't relate it to how a business makes money, if they can't market it, then the business will look at it and go, sorry. And it's especially hard for a technical person to do that because a technical person doesn't necessarily develop all of those soft skills that are needed in business. Mm. And, and so as I was seeing some of these decisions being made at programmatic levels, I thought, man, I want to be in that room. I want to be sitting there and be able to say, hey, no, this is actually great. And I can tell you why from a technical perspective and then translate it into non-technical. So at that point, I went back to business school. But it was during the MBA that we that I saw a lot of the same type of thinking from physics applied to, to just slightly different problems with business school. How in business there is a wrong answer, <laughs> which is which is great. It's the it's the answer that loses you money. Um, but it, it's the same type of methodical thinking where you have to have a framework and you go through the steps and there's a wrong answer. And it's a lot more similar than it may first appear. But I loved every single one of those classes. And so I came out from my business degree and I felt like, yeah, I've got all this great academic knowledge from about business. And I can talk about uh, the customer experience journey and develop a customer experience map. And, and uh, I know the theory of stakeholder management and RACI and SWOT analysis and, and all of that. But like, how does that actually apply to the products that I see every day? Like if somebody wanted to, to redesign a water bottle, do yeah. a SWOT analysis, uh, like I, I've, I have no idea. And so I thought, Okay, well, Raytheon is great for engineering, for science, but who is like the biggest and best business company? And that's when I landed at, at Amazon. Um, and so I transitioned to a product manager over at Amazon. Uh, and that's kind of, in a nutshell, maybe not, uh, maybe not fleshed out as much as it could be, but how I went from physics to product management. I, I basically saw the same the same type of thinking and, and thought, hey, it's time to try something new. It's very interesting. It's very interesting that you point out, I mean, first of all, how many lives have you lived, Brandon? Like accounting, <laughs> psychology, physics, product management? 
<laughs> maybe by the end of this uh, episode we'll we'll learn something from time management as well because like how do you find the time to really do all of this but let's focus first on on this transition which is like a big jump and you mentioned on our first meeting as well that you found and you also mentioned here briefly you found similarities between physics and business mm-hmm. can you tell me for example an example on where you it clicked to you that hey this is also in physics uh this business problem is physics and i can solve it by applying this and that so did you ever had a, a moment when you realized with an example if you can illustrate yeah absolutely so th- the first thing is I-, I guess to kind of define what physics and, and in a broader sense what science is tell us so- i have no idea i was always bad <laughs> in physics so that's why i'm impressed by everything you talk about physics <laughs> <laughs> sounds good uh so <laughs> Science, it starts out with you kind of see something go on. And in the physics world, it could be a physical phenomenon like lightning striking. Or in the business world, it can be like a company, a unicorn succeeds. And you go, how did that happen? That doesn't make any sense. And then so after you see a phenomenon, the next thing, it's you have to make a guess. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Now I know where this is going. (laughs) Exactly. So you guess. Um, and then once you make a guess, then you have to think through the, the results of that guess. So you go, well, if this is true, then these other things would happen in line. And so for a product management, for example, if you're, if you're thinking about Mm -hmm. a new feature, you, you may have seen a competitor do something similar, or you've used a competitor's product and you see it lacking and you go, Hey, I think people would like this. There's your guess. I think people would like it. So then you go through and you try and develop it and you and you flesh out the idea and, and you try and bring it to market. And then the next part of both science and business is the experiment. Uh, after you have decided what will happen if what you think is true, then you do the experiment and see if that actually happens. So, mm. it, so for the business feature, it, for that product feature, it could be, oh, yeah. My adoption increased, or I think adoption will increase by by ten percent. Let's say, and then you put you roll out the feature. Does your adoption increase ten percent? In in physics, you might say, well, I, I think that it's static electricity in the clouds, and that creates a, a potential difference, and then that's what shoots the lightning down. And so I can recreate that by doing by by making that potential difference in a lab. Mm-hmm. And so, hey, does it work? And and here's the beauty of both business and physics. Wow! If it doesn't work, yeah. if it doesn't work, you're gone. It's done. You, mm-hmm. if what you said wouldn't happen, or if what you said happened didn't happen, you're done. It's wrong. Go back to the drawing board. Make another guess. Mm. Your guess may be related to what to what you thought, but. You're you're done. You you don't try and and push that idea forward anymore. You you take it back to the drawing board, and so that is absolutely huge. Specifically in product management, maybe less so in business, but specifically in product management. Once you make your guess, you do the experiment, and then once the experiment is done, that's your answer. Hmm. And so we've done that uh, in my work a lot, where we, you interview a customer. 
and and you start asking them questions like, hey, what what do you what would you like on on this product uh, on this uh, on what you're using? And they'll say and they'll say some things or maybe you ask a, a less leading question uh, and say something like, what problem are you trying to solve? What are your pain points? All of that. And then you have your guess. OK, I have a collection of pain points, mm-hmm. so I'm going to guess that this feature will solve it. And I'm, I'm going to make a different guess that 20% of our users have the points based on the, the random sampling I did. 20%. So mm-hmm. if you solve these pain points, I would expect over the next six months, because uh, no product, uh, no one gains um, visibility immediately. So, so you have to wait for some network effects to take in. But over, over six months, I expect my user base then to grow uh, a little less than 20% because you add in a new feature and you're going to lose some people because people are stubborn, and but you're going to gain a lot more people. So there, there's your guess. Do the experiment. Hey, you didn't get 20% of your people. Uh-oh. Hmm. So the force was not enough to <laughs> like just like <laughs> what is the what's the formula here? The force was not sufficient to drive yeah, the body. Or... <laughs> yeah, yeah, Which too much law? inertia. <laughs> yeah, uh, you couldn't overcome friction, right? And <laughs> and it's interesting because even so in, in product management, yeah, right. it, but even in product management, you use the same terms: customer friction, hmm. right? Like, what is right. customer friction? It's the amount you have to push a customer to adopt something new. Uh, so, the, I mean, they're not even trying to hide the connection there. <laughs> right. Hmm. And Brandon, you mentioned this is so interesting, by the way. Like, I've never thought, and I'm sure all the listeners were right now are thinking, hmm, there is every, everything is possible in this world, even physics and business could be related. But you also mentioned something that you started off as a technical and then you wanted to be a business because business wins at the end of the day. So I believe you you now you play both roles, technical and, and uh, business aspect. So mm-hmm. you have to zoom out and see the business side and then you have to zoom in and see the technical side. How hard is it for you to zoom in, zoom out like all the time? Because once you get in depth of a product, sometimes it's really hard to look at the, at the big picture of it, right? Is there any challenge for you in the regards to the switch of zooming in and zooming out all the time? So as far as, I mean, that's a great question, by the way. So as far as doing the context switching, like being in the weeds in one meeting and then the very next meeting, you have to talk about the high level. Mm-hmm. It, it can be jarring. And, and there are times where I'm in a meeting and I just start going off. I, I'm sure everyone has noticed by now how loquacious I can be, but okay. <laughs> um, where, where I just start going off on all these technical things. And then I have these business leaders look at me like, right. They so? have to adjust your language as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it, and it is really tough um, in that sense. But once you get the pushback of, yes, yeah, so it, it, at that point, I, I sit back, <laughs> I take a deep breath and I go, oh, oh is it making money or not? Uh, um, <laughs> But at that point, then I can kind of recalibrate a little bit. So, so from mm. that perspective, it, it's it's self correcting. The harder one is when you're really into something, and you're in the weeds, and you see this component, let's say, of a product, and it's highly technical, and you go, "We have to have it." Mm-hmm. But the reason why you have to have it is because, like, two or three years down the line of maintenance of this product. This component is going to be is is going to be critical to reduce tech debt, 
But how do you explain that to a business person who is not going to have to deal with the tech debt, who has to sign like a three times their check now <laughs> and and give right. you six and give you six extra weeks? And you for, oh, yeah, well, in three years, it's going to be great. And then the business person is thinking, well, we'll see what happens to the product in three years. It may not even be around. Mm. Um, and and so that's so that's hard. Or you get as a technical person, you get like on this really cool feature and and the customers don't don't know about it yet. And the customers don't. So they haven't said that they wanted it because you haven't been able to test it yet. And you're in the zone, you're in the technical zone of like, oh, this would be so cool. This is like a, a, a semi-transient Markov chain or, or something like that. And then you have to explain that to somebody about why it's so cool. And you're mm. like, well, it's super cool because like, oh. <laughs> how do I explain this now? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, it's like, well, how much statistics do you know? Okay. Well, <laughs> you well. see, there's a computer. <laughs> ChatGPT, explain and, and, this like you would explain to a five-year-old. <laughs> exactly, and and that is and that is really tough to do a lot of the time. I was assuming uh, so. I was assuming so because I'm also like in my career, I've also spoken with developers, and every time I've asked them like why. And they're like going technical. And I'm asking again, why? But why? Yep. And then fifth time, but why? And then they tell me. And I'm like, okay, now I get it. So you yep. playing both parts, I bet it's pretty, pretty hard for you to, to speak to two different languages with two different minds. Yeah, it, it, it can be pretty hard. And then trying to boil everything down to two or three bullet points that end up on a on a document somewhere. But hey, that's that's uh, definitely so that's, that's definitely your advantage, I would say, right? Because I kind of envy you. I I'm not from a technical background, but I kind of wish I was. But I kind of envy you that you have those both words because that's, I believe, an advantage. Would you agree with that? I, would you say that you have an advantage as opposed to product managers who come from a business background? Uh, I mean, for everything, there's pros and cons, hmm. right? And and so there's a balancing act. Uh, luckily, I gain credibility pretty immediately with all of my engineering teams just from having a background in physics. Uh, they accept uh, you as their own. <laughs> and so that's really nice because uh, I was talking with a developer just the other day and uh, we were talking about implementing some linear regression models. And mm. he said, Oh uh, yeah, like do you even know what a linear regression model is? <laughs> I go, yes. Uh, I actually put together a, a random forest machine learning model not too long ago Boom. for you know, just a per <laughs> just a personal project I was doing, um, and it, that's more a more advanced model than a linear regression. I, th I think I've got it. And he goes, excellent. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, great. Uh, and so from that perspective, it's a huge pro because as a product manager, if you don't have the backing of your engineering team, it's it's mm. not going to go well. Because at the, at the end of the day, you are a manager and you're accountable for all the pieces, but you don't actually do the work of hardly any of the pieces. And so with that, you have to build trust, not only with your customers, but with every person in your in your sphere of influence mm. and so get, so getting that credibility with the developers is super important and it and having that technical background means that they look at me as not just some suit who's going to tell them that that you know the bottom line is suffering and so we, you have to do shoddy work or, mm. or whatever
Right. So that's really helpful. Uh, on the other hand, and so I'm, I don't want to say managing down, but by managing down the uh, the product chain is is much easier because you have instant credibility. Managing up the product chain to say your executive stakeholders is, I, I think, a little bit harder to do because one. One thing about people in general is people in general hate to feel stupid. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> uh, right. And, and that's there. everybody. I hate to feel <laughs> stupid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people hate to feel stupid. Um, and so when you have all of this technical knowledge and you want to share it because it's important to the product, for example, it's, it's important to your developers. It's important to you. Um, you run the risk of, like we just mentioned, not speaking their language. And when you don't speak an executive's language there, you run a very large risk of confusion. Mm -hmm. And that confusion can turn very quickly to to them feeling stupid, which means they're they're in a bad way, and mm. which means that you're in an even worse way. Uh, and, and so, if if you never speak that language, I I would guess that it's a lot easier to manage up the chain because you speak the executive's language. You are a, a huge business person, so you know exactly what they're looking for. You know exactly how the document should be formatted. You know all of this great stuff to communicate with them, but then maybe you have trouble communicating and bonding with your engineering team. And so I, I think, it, I think it can go either, either way. Um, do I, then the question becomes, and here's another really good question. And maybe this is a question for you. Hmm. What, what do you think is easier to develop uh, a technical expertise, even on a singular product or all of the soft skills that that really helps stakeholder management. You know, I I really don't know, Brandon, because I I have a sense for you it's similar as well. But for me, it kind of comes natural. The soft skills kind of come naturally for me. So whenever I see like those trainings about soft skills and stuff, I'm like, what? You you cannot learn them. You either have them or you don't. Like <laughs> I know I'm extreme, but soft skills all the way. And maybe just for mm -hmm. me personally, but I I do have a sense that maybe soft skills come comes naturally to you as well because. I mean, communication, and uh, I, I do sense that you had an innate ability to to lead in terms of business as well. So <clears throat> did, do yeah. you feel like you had uh, an unfair advantage? It <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, certainly wasn't unfair, I guess. Uh, but <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. But yeah. It, so what so do you think is, what do you think is harder to develop then, technical or soft skills? Because like I'm biased <laughs> because as I said, like for me they come naturally. But what is what's your opinion about this? So I think the uh, honestly, I think the hardest thing anyone can do is to master public speaking when they weren't born with it. Okay. Fair enough. And like I think because I think about it, and you can think about it the, the question in a slightly different way which is instead of what's harder to learn, what would you have a harder time teaching someone? Mm. And like, say you have a textbook and 
Because the thing is, am, am I am I special? Am I more intelligent than anybody else? And, and the answer is no. Uh, I'm a I'm a normal person who studied a lot. Hmm. And and That's as I and as I studied a lot, you get used to things. Like and all of a sudden, then you can look at these huge technical equations that some people look at and go cross-eyed. But you've spent so much time with it, you go, "Oh yeah, I know how it's going to turn out." With a technical skill, maybe maybe you take a test or maybe you try and do some problems and you get it wrong. You can always redo the problem. But mm -hmm. let's say you give a speech and it doesn't go over well. Well, then it's Cannot much harder. Hmm. Yeah. It's so much harder to get the next opportunity to get a speech because you, you already have one on record and it didn't right. go well. <laughs> See, so that's it's only so you're not credible anymore to even that audience, just like you're not credible to a developer for not knowing technical knowledge. So that yeah. kind of makes sense. I agree with you. I definitely agree with you. But then it's yeah. kind of a pressure to be a product manager. Then you have to be credible to developers, credible to to the audience, to this and that and that. So it's kind of mm -hmm. oh my god, it is a bit stressful, isn't it? Oh yeah, I, I think I do think being a product manager is the most stressful job in any company, even more stressful than the CEO. Mm -hmm, because right? as a because the CEO, uh, there's a new term that gets thrown around. Uh, manage by influence, which is basically you have to be the raw, raw, like carry the flag, plant it, and then everybody has to want to gather around you. Well, what kind of person does that? And, <laughs> and like the second you make a wrong decision, like are you no longer that person? And, and that's super stressful. Whereas a CEO, you make a wrong decision and then you just come out and say, yeah, we went, we went a wrong direction and everybody has to go along with it because you're the CEO. And of course, I mean, you make too many of those and you get fired by the board of directors, but every decision is not scrutinized as a CEO, whereas a product manager, not only is every decision scrutinized, but there is no just like I said, that there is a wrong answer. There is no right answer. Mm. There's just less wrong answers. And, and that makes product management very stressful. It also makes it very rewarding for a certain type of person. Uh, and I, just like anything else, like I would not make a good kindergarten teacher. I would be the worst mm. at it. And I have the <laughs> utmost respect for people who can do that. No, if you became a kindergarten teacher, I would be like, this guy is not a human. Please, don't go in there. <laughs> You've done enough. <laughs> oh, sounds good. No, I, I wouldn't don't last Don't tell a me day. you tried it. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, no. Um, I, I did tutor in math for a little bit. Um, okay. <laughs> but I think the youngest I got was third grade. I, I went third grade to high school. Okay. But, no, but yeah, I, I wouldn't last a day in a kindergarten classroom. And that's not to say anything about me or about kindergarten teachers or about the kindergarten teaching profession. And there's a lot of kindergarten teachers who wouldn't last a day as a product manager. And again, that doesn't say anything about kindergarten teachers, me or product managers. Yeah, exactly. Just some people are destined for a career and some others are not, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, I, I had a colleague who, who recently told me that she admired me because I could get yelled at in a meeting and have it not and just not be affected by it 
Oh, okay. Um, That's a skill. <laughs> That's a skill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it definitely is because as a product yeah. manager, there's no way to make everybody ha happy. Right. And, hmm. and the earlier somebody understands that, I think the better their career in product management will be. Hmm. All right. This is the end of the part one on transitioning to product management, finding your transferable skills. I hope that you learned the same lesson that I did. But if you're trying to find out what is it that I learned, let me share it with you. If Brandon could relate again physics to product management, so can I and everybody else who's not directly related to product management. To be honest with you, one of my fears was, what if I don't fit in with this role? But then again, I was able to reflect on all the transferable skills that I've gained from business roles and sales environments. And honestly, they do fit in with product management. A fun fact is that on my five episodes that I've had so far on the podcast, Brandon is the second person that holds a PhD in physics, or at least is a candidate for PhD in physics, but is a reputable product manager. On my first episode, I had Dr. Vasant, who is a professor at the digital product management class, holding a PhD in physics as well. So... Product management allows us to transfer our skills and each one of us can find the right skills to fit in with this role. Coming up on part two of transitioning to product management, rebranding your resume. What did Brandon change on his resume to get him a call back within three days? I hear back from the first one and says, hey, we saw that you updated your resume. Would you like to interview for this for, for your original no way. job? Thank you so much for listening to the Product League podcast. See you at part two of transitioning to product management.